You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming, with Pastor Keith Miller. One of the things is, uh, that we're striving to do is we're trying to be consistent and we're trying to make our live stream service feel like a worship service, but the reality is, is that it's different. And so we, we understand that. I think it's the, the season that's not familiar to us is affording us uh, things that we can do that maybe we have not done before. Our vision statement as a church for Meadowbrook Church is that we want to develop followers of Jesus who prayerfully engage their communities with the gospel of Jesus. And, uh, and prayer is a big part of that. And if there is... If there's any season for, for prayer, there's no season like this one right now. This is, this is a first for, for us, and this is an opportunity for us to humble ourselves and, and seek the face of God. Every time we gather on Sunday uh, through this live stream, it is my prayer and my hope for you and for my own heart that we will see uh, the God of the Bible and be encouraged by that reality. There's a scripture passage that we're going to look at this morning, and it's found in Romans chapter 4, beginning with verse 13. Uh, If you have a Bible in your home, which I hope you do, uh, you'll find it, you'll grab it, and you'll turn open to Romans chapter 4, beginning with verse 13. If you do not have a Bible and you're watching through the Facebook live stream, leave a comment. Let us know that you need a Bible, and we will be sure to get you a Bible. Uh, we have plenty of Bibles that we can, we can get to you, so be sure to do that. And also, before I read the passage, if you are, uh, if you are on Facebook live stream, leave a prayer request. Let us know how we can pray for you. Uh, we are praying throughout the week for you, but let us know specifically how we can pray for you. And, uh, and if you haven't done so yet, hit the... Uh, the watch party uh, button on your Facebook, uh, if you can find it. If you can't find it, don't worry about it. And let others know uh, that, uh, that, there's, that they can join us in this live stream worship service. All right, Romans chapter 4, beginning with verse 13. And if you could stand in your living rooms, your bedroom, wherever it is that you find yourself, we do this to honor the Word of God. We really believe that these words in these pages, when you read them, uh, what you hear is the voice that spoke the galaxies into existence. Verse 13, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it, as the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed against hope 
that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Uh, this passage in Romans chapter 4 is, and you may be seated, um, our worship team's still standing. So the, this passage in Romans chapter 4 is, is alluding back to Abraham and the faith that he had in the promises of God. You know, when Abraham heard about God for the first time, the God of the Bible, he was living in the city of Ur. And uh, my guess is that he had certain expectations of, of what God was like, kind of like the expectations that Albert Einstein had of his wife, uh, Melivia, uh, after he grew convinced that, she, that there was no way to rekindle their romance, if there even was a romance. So he drafted a list of expectations uh, for the sake of their children, that they, that they could possibly agree to and, and still live under the same roof while married, but really uh, not, not trying to salvage their marriage during that, that time. So this is the list of expectations. This was found, I think it was 1996, in, in some letters that were discovered that belonged to Albert Einstein. So this is the list that he made for his wife at the time, he said, one, you, you will make sure of the following, that my clothes and laundry are kept in good order, that I will receive my three meals regularly in my room, that my bedroom and, my, and, and study are kept neat, and especially that my desk is left for my use only. You will renounce, this is the second section, you will renounce all personal relations with me insofar as they are completely necessary for social reasons. Specifically, you will forego my sitting at home with you and two, my going out or traveling with you. And then he continues, you will obey the following points in your relations with me. You will not expect any intimacy from me nor will you reproach me in any way. You will stop talking to me if I request it. You will leave my bedroom or study immediately without protest if I request it. And then finally, you will undertake not to belittle me in front of our children, either through words or behavior. Surprisingly, she agreed to those terms. But only a few months later, she walked out of the home with her two kids and moved to a completely different city. She, uh, Albert Einstein had certain expectations that he thought were, I guess, fair. Um, his wife obviously did not agree. I was thinking about that. We all have expectations, so I, I don't think this is, 
this is not the list of all lists to judge whether or not your expectations are fair or reasonable, but I came up with three questions that I think can help you uh, figure out whether or not your expectations are reasonable. Uh, one, are your expectations attainable? So think about that for a second. Uh, you know, if you're planning a family trip, especially if you live in Cheyenne, uh, make it, traveling to Estes Park is attainable for most people. It's a pretty reasonable thing to plan for, sometime in the summer to go to Estes Park. I love Estes Park. What is not attainable is if you plan a family trip to Mars to be the first family colonist to live there, right? That's not attainable. Uh, question number two, are your expectations reasonable? You know, I have an expectation of my children who are watching right now uh, that uh, they make their beds in the morning as soon as they get up. I have a philosophy. If you can start your day off by making your bed in the morning, then you might be pretty successful with other things in your life. And uh, an unreasonable uh, expectation would be that if I charged our nine-year-old rent for living in, our, in, in, in the bedroom, right? That would be unreasonable. And question number three, are your expectations dumb? And here, here's how you discover or discern whether or not your expectations are dumb. And that is going back to the first two questions. If they are not attainable and if they're not reasonable, then your expectations are dumb and you just give up on them. Um, so, when we consider Palm Sunday, this is Palm Sunday where, you know, here we are, and uh, Palm Sunday is the celebration and the time where we remember when Jesus entered into Jerusalem for the last time before his death. There were certain expectations that people had of Jesus on Palm Sunday. As he made his way into Jerusalem, there were several things that happened. The people laid their, their uh, coats you know, on the ground in front of the colt that Jesus was riding. This was not uncommon for, uh, for, for Jesus to do uh, because that's what would happen with the coronation of a king. So Jesus was entering into Jerusalem like any king would enter into Jerusalem. And uh, people would also take palm branches. They would take the palm branches from the trees and they would lay them also before, they laid them also before Jesus. Uh, they had a reasonable expectation in light of the scriptures, and that is that a Messiah would come and that he would deliver them, would deliver uh, the Hebrew people from the bondage of, of the nations. And uh, that, was a, that was a reasonable expectation. What was unreasonable to them was that the real reason why Jesus was entering into Jerusalem was to not receive a crown but to receive a cross. They had forgotten Isaiah chapter 53 that talked about Jesus hundreds and hundreds of years before he was even born. That he was despised and rejected by men. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The idea of a, suffer, a, a, a suffering king or suffering messiah was not reasonable to them, especially Jesus' disciples. You remember when you read through the Gospels that uh, Jesus said, I'm going to be betrayed and I am going to die. And, and one of his closest disciples by the name of Peter said, that can't happen, that will never happen. And Jesus rebuked them for saying that. 
Why did Peter say that this could never happen? Because it didn't fit into his expectations of who the Messiah was and what the Messiah came to do. It's the same thing with Abraham and Sarah. Abram, uh, formerly known as Abram, later renamed Abraham, uh, was, was minding his own business in, in this pagan city called Ur. The fact is, Abram probably did not worship the God of the Bible. He worshipped probably the, the gods of, of the city. I don't know what the, God, the name of the God is, but he worshipped the moon god in his city most likely. And God spoke to him. He said, Abram, I want you to leave the city of Ur and I'm going to show you uh, the place where I'm going to uh, lead you and that will be your land. In fact, in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, which is on the screen here, uh, it says he's, this is the promise that God made to Abraham multiple times throughout his life. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now here's the deal. Abraham was... An old dude. He was an old man, and his wife was elderly. What God promised to Abraham didn't meet Abraham's expectations. He didn't think, that, I mean, nobody in their right mind would think that this would be possible for, for this to happen to a guy by the name of Abram, who was, uh, he was an old man. His wife was way beyond the ability to bear children. And to, to make matters worse, his name meant father of a multitude. And he had no children to show for it. And uh, what we're told in Romans chapter 4 is that Abraham believed. He believed the promise of God. I don't think he believed in, verse, in, in chapter 12 of Genesis. I think he was like, okay, let's try this, try this out. Let's figure it out. You know, give it a whirl. And he left Ur. I mean, what, what did he have to lose? He took his family with him. But over time, he got to, got to understand this God who introduced himself to Abram, not the other way around. This God who sought out Abraham, Abram got to know him, got to know him, and began to believe, you know what? This is the God who spoke the galaxies into existence. Nothing is too difficult for him. You know, through the, if you've read the story about Abraham, he wasn't a perfect man. Uh, life was pretty rough at the beginning after he uh, entered into the, to this relationship with the God of all creation. You know, we know on two occasions he lied about his wife. He said that, he, that she was his sister to her own potential harm. And... Uh, at one point, Sarah and Abraham said, look, I'm, you know, like, this, is, this thing's not happening yet. God promised us years ago that we would have a child. We still don't have a child, so let's just do what everybody else is doing around us. Let, why don't you take our servant, Hagar, uh, sleep with her, get her pregnant, and then we'll have her, the child that she gives birth to will be the child of promise. We'll, we're just going to help God out a little bit. Because he's having a hard time, you know, following through with his promise. And we know, you know, if you read the story, you know how that went. Uh, it didn't go so well. 
We still are uh, dealing with the repercussions of that decision in the Middle East. But as we read through Abraham's story, and as we're told here in Romans chapter 4, Abraham is an example of faith. He's an example of faith. And I think that's what we need to be reminded of today, especially when you're at home and, and you're frustrated. I mean, for those of us who live in Cheyenne, like we, we, who were happy to send our children to a very good public school system here are now being forced to do online school, like public, or no, government-mandated uh, homeschooling. Like, I, I don't even know how we're going to figure that one out. In, a time that, in the time that we live in, it's good to be reminded of what faith is. And so there are three, three things, three points I just want to remind you of, show you in, in Romans chapter 4 with the hope that it will help you. And the first is this, is that God is greater than our circumstances. He is greater than our circumstances. We see this in the, all throughout the story of Abraham. God is greater than our circumstances. God said, go to the land that I'm going to show you. And even though the womb of your wife is dead, I'm going to bring forth life out of that womb. And uh, he promised him multiple times that he would do that. And the Bible says that Abraham believed. He believed God. He grew convinced that God would honor his promise by doing the impossible with his elderly wife. Like, I mean, I know some of you are thinking, how is this ever going to subside? Like, how are we ever going to fix this? How is the economy going to recover? And the answer to that question is, I don't know. It might not recover. You know, here we're experiencing what I've said before. Uh, typically, when we look at other nations or when we watch our neighbor down the street, that are suffering, we think that although it's touched them or although it's touched that nation, it will never come home to our homes. It will never touch us. But here we are. It's touched us on, in, in, in epic proportions. Last I checked, thir over 3,900 people are dead in New York as a result of this virus. More than what happened, more than, than those who died uh, as a result of the terrorist attack on the World Trade Towers. And God, you know, the God that Abraham grew to know was the God Abraham grew to believe could do this thing. He could do the impossible. That God was bigger than, their, than, than his circumstances. I mean, let's face it. There is nothing that Abraham or Sarah could have done in their own might and their own power to generate a child from, from Sarah's womb. There's nothing that they could have done. And that's the point. That's the point of the story. There's nothing. There's nothing that we could do in terms of our standing before a holy God as sinners, there's nothing that we can do to help ourselves. I've said this multiple times, that I really believe that COVID-19 is, is potentially one of the best things that could have happened to the church because it's forcing us to step back and rethink what does it mean to be the church. Somebody wrote this on a blog, and I, and I agree with this person. 
The show is over. And I'm talking about Sunday mornings. The show is over, and it's time to be the church in our homes and in our neighborhoods. Yes, we're called to gather together, and that's why we're doing a live stream. Yes, we're called to worship together. It's good for us. We need each other. But when it comes to mission, we're called to, to meet the fears of our world with the hope of the gospel. The hope uh, of the gospel uh, about a God who's able to do the impossible, who, could, who, who took the dead body of Jesus Christ in a cold womb or a tomb and raised him to life. The difference between the God that Abraham was introduced to, the God that we worship, and the gods that Abraham grew up believing in is this, and nothing's really changed. I want you to listen. Idols or different gods outside of the God of this Bible, this is the difference between the two, between the God of the Bible and idols. The God of the Bible, when he promises something, it is never dependent on our strength to make those promises happen. But with idols, every promise that an idol makes is dependent on the worshiper to make those promises a reality. And so God said, I'm going to do something you can't do, Abraham and Sarah. I'm going to bless you with that child. But I'm not just blessing you with a child. That child will be, the, will be the one who will bless the nations. That child will have other children, and those children will have other children. And out of your gene pool, out of your family tree, will come one who will be, who, who will be the one promised to Adam and Eve, who would crush the head of the serpent and, and would reverse the curse of sin. That through him there would be no more viruses one day. Through him, the sins of us all, which is a greater threat than COVID-19, could be forgiven as he would bear our sins on a cross. God is greater than our circumstances. That's why Paul wrote in verse 13 in this passage, if you're following along, he said, for the promise of Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world, did not come through the law, meaning the Old Testament law, but through the righteousness of faith, meaning this, that the law in the Old Testament, the purpose of it was to show us how far short we fall from meeting God's standard. That was last week's sermon, by the way. If you haven't listened to it, go check it out after this. The whole point was that we can't do enough to fix our problem. We can't do enough to remedy our sin. We need one who will stand in our place, one who is completely and fully and perfectly righteous. There's no circumstance in your life or in the world, listen, there's no circumstance in your life or in the world that is greater than, than God. Secondly, God is sufficient to meet our greatest need. That's the point of Romans chapter 4. That's the point of Abraham's story. His greatest need wasn't to have a child. His greatest need was to be reconciled to a God he didn't know. That was his greatest need. And the greatest need of the world was for there to be a way for sinners like you and, and me to be reconciled to the God of all creation, of whom the Bible says... 
loved the world so much, loved the world so much that the promise that was made to Abraham has become the promise to the nations. And that promise is in the, in, in the person and work of Jesus, God's own son. That God so loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And so in verse 16, Paul wrote, writes this, that, that that is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. And he later on goes on to say that the offspring of Abraham, that's us, those who, who have placed our faith and trust in Jesus, that, the, that the, the blessing is not prosperity, the blessing is reconciliation and redemption with the God that we were born alienated from. Like I said last week, I quoted, I forget what Psalm, Psalm is I think 55 or 53, uh, that in sin my mother conceived me. In sin my mother conceived me. And so what does, that, what does Paul mean by the phrase, the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring? The promise is that the descendant of Abraham would be born and his name is Jesus. The blessing that was promised to Abraham was the redemption that would one day be, being, be made possible through the life Jesus lived, the death that he died, and the resurrection that he experienced when he conquered death and walked out of that tomb. Through the Bible is a unified story of a, about a hero. Every good story includes elements of, of the greatest story ever told, which is in, in the Bible. It's in this book. And, uh, and it's about a hero, a protagonist. And it's also about an antagonist who's the devil, and, and when we read through the Bible, what we discover is that there is a better Adam who was perfectly obedient to the law of God, who lived the life uh, that we could never live. That there is a better Abel who, you know, the Abel was killed by his brother Cain and his blood cried out from the dirt. There is a better Abel whose shed blood screams forgiven for all those who believe in Jesus. There is a better Abraham who left the splendor of heaven to identify as one of us in perfect submission and to, who promises to make all things new and to build us a new city where there will be no more curse. There is a better Moses who stands on our behalf as the mediator of a better and newer covenant, one that says we can never do enough and that Jesus did everything that we need. And that there is a righteousness, a perfect righteousness that is available to anybody who will believe that could, be, that could receive it by faith as a free gift. There is a better David who will reign and rule as the Prince of Peace and King of Kings. And he's coming one day. And believe me, he is coming one day. And all the nations will weep and wail on account of him. One of the things that COVID-19, I think, I hope, is teaching us is that we stand on the knife edge of destroying ourselves. Like we, we are so frail. We are so frail. And if it weren't for the sovereign hand of God that sustains life on this earth, we'd all be gone and we'd all be in hell. The Prince of Peace and the King of Kings is coming and he will make all things new, brothers and sisters. Like COVID-19 has a shelf life. I believe, I really do believe that it will end, like this season will come to an end. But my fear is that we will forget. We will forget what we're feeling right now. 
We will forget that we are helpless. We will forget that the only hope that we have is in a God who spoke the galaxies into existence. The only hope that we have is in a God who, who uh, uh, raises the dead and speaks into existence things that never previously existed. Jesus is the one through whom the nations will experience the blessing of Abraham. That's the message of Romans chapter 4. I mean, think about that. God, verse 17, if you're looking at your Bible, you can even circle these words in, in verse 17 if, that's what, if you like the highlight stuff in your Bible, that in the presence of God, the reason, the reason why Abraham's faith was unwavering as he got older is that uh, he was convinced that the God who promised him that he would have a son, and then through that son the nations would be blessed, is the God who gives life to the dead. Underline that in your Bible. God gives life to the dead. And, you can circle and, I, I like to draw lines, I, I print out the scripture passage when I'm doing sermon preparation, and, you can circle and, and point an arrow to cause into existence the things that do not exist. Abraham had no faith when he was in Ur, and God met him where he was. And he opened his heart to the reality of this God who was real. Abraham believed the promise because of the one who made the promise. And I love, I love this next verse in 18. In hope, he believed against hope. He believed in, he, it was hope against hope. Like his hope was in the God who raised the dead from, raises the dead from, from, from the grave and speaks into existence the things that did not exist previously. And because he was convinced of that, he was able to fight against like, the disparity of his world. And it's the same thing with COVID-19. You want to know how you can, you, you can fight against the anxiety that you're experiencing right now? Is remember who God is. The God who raises the dead from the grave. And he speaks into existence things that never previously existed. If you doubt that, just think about the resurrection. We're going to talk about that next Sunday. We'll talk about the cross this Friday in our live stream Good Friday service. And finally, and I'll make this brief, God is the foundation for liberating and justifying faith. God is the foundation of liberating and justifying faith. The point here, we'll miss the point in Romans 4 if we think that somehow it was the result of Abraham's you know, self-sufficient faith that resulted in God being obligated to honor his promises. That's not the point. The point is, that the reason why Abraham had the, his faith in the first place is because it rested on the foundation of a God who was able to do the impossible. It wasn't because of anything that Abraham had in, him, in of himself that resulted in him finally experiencing the birth of his son. It was God. I like how Paul describes Abraham's faith. Uh, unbelief... No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith. He grew. You can circle that word, too. He grew strong in his faith. It didn't start off strong. We know it started off pretty weak. He grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. And in those last remaining verses, in verses 22 through 25, that is why his faith, Paul writes, was counted to him as righteousness. 
But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Think about that. The faith that Abraham had rested on the reality that God was able to do the impossible. And it's the same, the same is true for you, brothers and sisters and friends. Maybe some of you don't even know who Jesus is yet. The same is true for you. The God who speaks into existence things that do not exist and raises the dead, raised Jesus from the grave. On the third day after Jesus died for your sins and my sins, he walked out of that tomb. That's the kind of faith that Abraham had, and that is the kind of faith that results in salvation for you and for me. Reconciliation with a God who we sinned against for you and for me by believing that Jesus was enough, that he lived the life that we could never live, and he died the death that we deserved. John Piper wrote this in his book, Future Faith, or Future Grace. He said this, Faith is the act of our soul that turns away from our own insufficiency to the free and all-sufficient resources of God. I want to read that again. Faith is the act of our soul that turns away from our own insufficiency to the free and all-sufficient resources of God. Where does this kind of faith come from? It comes from the conviction that God that it is God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that did not previously exist. And nowhere is this more clear than the resurrection of Jesus. Like this Friday, and I invite you at 6 p.m., join, join us for our live stream Good Friday service. We're going to celebrate communion together. Pick out the bread that you're going to share with your family. If it's wine or juice, pick out the wine or the juice that you're going to share with your family. We're going to celebrate communion together virtually uh, as we remember the death of our Savior who died on a cross for your sins and for my sins. But, um, and then we'll celebrate the resurrection next Sunday. It was uh, not their faith that was their righteousness but the object of their faith that became their righteousness. That was true for Abraham and Sarah, and it's true for you and for me. Jesus can be our righteousness, or if you're a believer in Jesus, Jesus is your righteousness. Listen, I'm gonna, I just want to wrap this up with something I, I find encouraging. There have been many seasons of hardship in, the, in, in, in history, especially for the church. Seasons of difficulty that the church has had to endure. This is not uncommon for the church. Jesus warned us of pandemics and persecution that would come, that we would not be exempt from. This is what Jesus said in Luke chapter 21. He said that the nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and pestilences. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. And he goes on to say, you will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you, some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my namesake. But listen to what he says. He says, but not a hair on your head will perish. Not a hair on your head will perish. COVID-19 may take your life, but not a hair on your head will perish. That is the hope of every person who has placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And then, then Jesus concludes 
by your endurance, you will gain your lives. How do we endure? Remembering who God is. The God who raises the dead and speaks into existence things that never existed before. There's an early church father, Polycarp, who was a pretty cool, too, pretty cool dude. He was discipled by the Apostle John. And uh, he became a pastor. And God used him profoundly. He was not educated. He was not formally educated. He was educated by just rubbing shoulders with the Apostle John. And most of Polycarp's Christian friends were killed. They said in the first 300 years of, uh, the, uh, of the church's existence, there were about 7 million converts. Now listen, and, and I don't know how they come up with these numbers, but 7 million people who believed in the gospel in those first 300 years, and 2 million of them were martyred for their faith. This is not new for us, brothers and sisters. COVID-19 is not new. It just has a different dress. And Polycarp lived during that season, the beginning of that season of intense, horrible persecution. Most of his friends were killed because of their faith. And for some strange reason, God preserved his life and he, did, and he lived into his 80s. But by the age of 86, it became clear that he would soon be arrested because of his faith in Jesus. And he even had a vision. And he, and he told his friends about it. He said, I believe that God is calling me to the fire, that I am going to die by fire. And so uh, when it was discovered that the authorities were seeking him out to arrest him, which would mean certain death, did he run? No. Was he foolish? No. His friends pleaded with him. They begged him, will you just find another place to stay? And he said, okay, fine. But he didn't run. When the authorities found out where he was staying, he made sure that they were able to find him. He was arrested, and he didn't resist arrest. He was brought before the proconsul, and uh, that individual, the, the proconsul, said to, basically interrogated him and told him, "If you just confess that Caesar is Lord and not Jesus." You will, you will, we will spare your life and you will, you, you will not die. And so uh, it is said that Polycarp uh, was unfazed and he engaged the interrogation by sharing the reason for his faith. Finally, the proconsul lost his temper and he said, we can feed you to animals and we, or we can burn you alive. And so Polycarp responded, with these words, he said, while the proconsul's fire lasts but a little while, the fire of judgment that is reserved for the ungodly cannot be quenched. But why do you delay? Come, do what you will. Eighty and six years I have served Christ, and he, has never, he never did me any wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? So he was brought before the crowds, an angry crowd in a stadium for all to see. And when it was said that Polycarp is a Christian, the crowd responded angrily, may he be burned. Burn this teacher of Asia, the father of the Christians, the destroyer of our gods who teaches many not to sacrifice or worship to our gods. Burn him. And so they 
grab Polycarp, and uh, I believe what they would do is nail the person to the stake so they wouldn't run out of the flames. Polycarp said, it's not necessary for you to nail me. I will go to the flames willingly. And so they led him to the place where they would burn him. And, um, and he said to the, to the guards or to the soldiers, he said, for he who grants me to endure the fire will enable me also to remain on the pyre unremoved without the security you desire from nails. They lit the fire and all could hear Polycarp praying until he breathed his last breath. This is not new for the church, friends. And what, and what allowed Polycarp to endure? The God whom he knew, who raises the dead and speaks into existence things that do not exist. His faith rested in the resurrected Jesus who promises that there is a day coming where God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. But that day will not come until Jesus makes all things new. And so I leave you with these two questions. In what ways is your faith in the resurrected Jesus freeing you, freeing you to live for Jesus and care for others on levels that maybe you've not considered before? What is COVID-19 doing for your faith? I'll ask it in another way. What is it that COVID-19 can take away from you when you have the promises of God and the resurrected Savior, Jesus? You've been justified by your faith in Jesus to care for such a time as this. You've been justified through faith in Jesus Christ before a holy God for such a time as this to care for your neighbors and the world around you, to serve them. I like to think of serving the gospel this way or the way Jesus ministered to others. He, served, he brought the gospel to people with a towel in one hand and the proclamation of the gospel in the other hand. He healed people that were sick. He fed those who were hungry. But at the same time, he proclaimed the kingdom of God, and that's what the church has been called to do. Let's serve those who are suffering. Let's care for them. Let's pray for them. Let them know that they are loved, and at the same time, let them know of the hope that we have, the hope that can meet their fears and quench their fears, the hope that Jesus is alive that he lived a life that we could never live, that he died the death that we all deserve, and on the third day he rose from the grave, and he's coming back to judge the living and the dead. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for all those who were able to uh, watch the live stream. And God, I pray that they would not forget, that we would not forget these words, the words that we sang uh, through these songs that we sang and the words that, 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 that are in Romans chapter 4 and the words that uh, you laid on my heart to share with my brothers, my sisters, and my friends today. And if there is anyone, God, if there is anyone who has not placed their faith and trust in Jesus, God, that they would do so now, that they would do so now, that they will hear these words from your holy word that all who confess with their mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that you, God, raised Jesus from the grave shall be saved. They will remember your words that say, there is salvation found in no one else but in the name of Jesus. 
that they will remember these words that Jesus spoke. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except by me. God, thank you for the hope that is ours in Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. If you're on the live stream and you have prayed that prayer, or if you're, if you're considering becoming a follower of Jesus, would you uh, message the church and let us know? Uh, we would love to pray for you. We'd love to get you a Bible. And don't forget to leave your prayer requests. Um, we look forward to seeing you this Friday at 6 p.m. for our live stream Good Friday service. Love you guys. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.